Well, what is a teenager and a baby boomer, basically a gener generational zier and a baby boomer have in common? We can probably come up with a variety of things they don't have in common, right? 20, 30 years ago, if a baby boomer was out for a jog and they wanted to listen to music, what did they do? They probably had to bring their, their uh, thing along in a wagon. What do you call those big round things that you had that played music? Boombox. Yeah, you had to probably bring that along in a wagon so you could listen to it. If you had a computer for a baby boomer, how much room did that computer take up? A lot. At least somebody said a room? Okay, that's the generation above the baby boomer thing. Now, a computer, you're wearing one on your wrist. There's computers all over the place. Now, baby boomers, when you go to work, what do you wear? Collared shirt, nice khaki pants, and what? Closed-toed shoes. Generation Z, what do you wear to work? Flip-flops. Athletic shorts, anything goes. There's a lot of differences between the baby boomers and generational Z. There's a lot of differences between a 55-year-old male and a 13-year-old female. But there's at least one thing that's exactly the same between a teenager and a middle-aged person, an older-aged person. And that one thing that's exactly the same is the desire to have a significant life the desire to have a significant life. It's in every human heart. When have you ever heard someone say, I want to be meaningless? How many books have you seen titled or sold at Barnes & Noble, How to Have a Meaningless Life? It doesn't happen. One of the best books have sold of all time, The Purpose Driven Life. Why, why do you think that was grabbed even by non-Christians? Because it appeals to something. It appeals to this desire within us to have a life that has meaning and significance. Everyone in this room, no matter what your age is, students, you actually have something in common with your parents. I know you thought that you didn't, but you do. What you have in common is this, a desire to have a meaningful and significant life. This morning we want to understand from God's perspective what is it that gives us significance and meaning. And especially in our culture today when there's a variety of messages being sold, a variety of messages being told about what gives us significance and equality and then the fight for significance and equality that's raging across our nation. Well, what is it that gives us significance? We've got to start with a little bit of math this morning first. This is also something that is pretty much the same, I think, between 55 and 13. There's this new Common Core stuff, but we don't have time to get into that today. So we got to do some simple math. What is it that gives us significance? So this is the equal sign, if you don't remember back to your young days here. So what equals significance? According to culture and the world around us, it's two things put together that give us significance. First, it's achievement. That which you have done or that which you have been a part of that has a physical attribute to it, something you can see, something you can hold, something that you've experienced that has brought you something materially. It's a big deal. Most people drive their meaning off of how much achievement they've had. But it's not just achievement that gives us significance. In our culture, it's achievement plus 
others' approval. Most people don't feel like they have meaning or significance until the people around them accept them and approve of them and they've had achievement in their life that's recognizable. This is the equation of the world when it comes to pursuing significance. And so this is, everything revolves around this in government, everything revolves around this in business. So you've got to get these two things together to create this. The scripture's got a different message this morning on what brings us significance, what brings us meaning. Let's look at our Bibles together at Psalm 8 here. Our journey to understanding our significance and our meaning begins in a very different place. Because look at verse 1 in Psalm chapter 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Notice where the psalm begins. The psalm begins with God. This is critical to understand. Okay, it doesn't say, O humanity, O humanity, how majestic you are. No, it says, God, how great you are. So, in other words, it has a God-centered view of the universe, not a human-centered view of the universe. When we're searching for significance, this is going to sound kind of paradoxical, the first thing we have to get in our heads is this. The world doesn't revolve around us. The world does not revolve around us. I'm sorry, you're not that big of a deal. You really aren't that big of a deal. 150 years from now, guess what? Nobody's going to remember you. I don't mean to be negative this morning or anything like that. Nobody's going to remember you. I mean, if you're lucky, you might have a name on a building somewhere, but who knows who those people even are? I mean, how many people who lived in a college dorm named after somebody named Burgess? You're like, who's Burgess? Nobody knows. You got your name on a brick building, but still no one knows you. You're not a big deal. Nobody in this room is a big deal. That's the first thing we got to get into our minds. That's where we have to start. The world does not revolve around us. We have to start with a God-centered view of the universe. This is why culture will never get equality correct. We'll never have equality in this nation. Never have equality in this nation. It goes against the Bible. I guarantee it today. Never have equality in any nation in the world until Jesus returns. Here's why. Because they start with a man-centered perspective. Because then, when you build it from a man-centered perspective, equality has to come something from here or around us. When truly, equality comes from one place and one place alone, God. And so our search for significance starts with God. And so what we want to do is we want to understand this morning for just a moment, well, what's God's purpose in the world then? What is God's purpose in the world? So we're going to do a high-level overview of the Bible and just hit on some high-level things that help us understand what is God's purpose in the world. And we're going to start in Psalm here. My remote works here. We're going to start in Psalm 106. And the psalmist here just says, Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his namesake that he might make known his mighty power. Catch this, catch this. Because most of the time when you and I read the Bible, we actually go to the Bible with this in our mind. What's it saying about me or to me? Man-centered. 
When in reality, we should read the Bible and say, what is being revealed? What's being revealed in this psalm here is what? Why did God save the people at the Red Sea? For his namesake. He saved the people at the Red Sea. In other words, he opened up the sea and created some dry land and then drowned a whole army. Why? Because God wanted his name to be known. He wanted his magnificence to be seen. Let's go on and look at another spot where a prophet talks about this. In Isaiah chapter 43, the prophet Isaiah is talking to the nation of Israel. And he says, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Now, he's talking about a nation here. He's talking to the nation Israel. Why did he form that nation Israel? He's calling all of his people back to himself. Look at the end of the passage. He says, I created you for my glory. In other words, God did not say, oh, I want these people to have a nation and make their name great. No, 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 no. God chose a people group, started with Abraham, and he built it into the nation of Israel for one reason, his glory, so that his greatness and his magnificence could be seen around the world. The prophet continues on with this message. We look here in Isaiah 43 at the next one. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, to the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. So again, this is a prophet speaking. Prophets use all sorts of beautiful language to try and drive up our imagination and try and evoke understanding. And basically the prophet is saying here, hey, 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 I'm doing all this for my people. Why? Look at this. Why? So that God would be praised. That's what it says right there. That's what the prophet says. God's doing all of this. What? So that God will be praised. And you're saying, oh, pastor, that's the Old Testament. God was drawing this people together. Let's look on and see the unity of the Bible here. The unity of the Bible found in John chapter 17. So if you go there for me, Matt, I'm sorry, my remote's not working. John 17, Jesus says this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. See some familiar language there? Jesus is praying, and what does he want to happen? He wants his Father to be glorified. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Well, Jesus' focus there is what? Glory. That his Father would be honored. The magnificence of God would be seen. Now let's go to First Th- Second Thessalonians chapter 1. To this end, the Apostle Paul here is saying we're praying about something. We pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the prayer here? The prayer is that what? God's glorified in us. Paul is saying, I want Jesus to be formed in you. I want your character to be formed. Why? So that God is glorified. God's mission in the universe, whenever God is engaged, God is glorified. That's the whole purpose. 
Whenever God is engaged, God is glorified. That is the purpose of creation. You could very simply say it this way, a little bit crude. God is glory hunger. God's hungry for glory. He wants to be praised above all else. Everything revolves around the creator. And you might say, well, geez, sounds kind of like a prideful God. Well, here's the beauty of it. It's great because when the glory is given to one who's all-loving and all-compassionate and all-merciful, him pursuing his own glory means he's pursuing the good of others. So it's good for us that it's all about God's glory. Because what happens when it's not about God's glory, but it's about our kingdom and our glory? Somebody has to get hurt in the pathway of getting there. What happens when we're establishing our own kingdoms? We've got to take down other kingdoms in the process. It's good that it's for God's glory. This is the whole message of the Bible, is that God created the universe for himself and for the praise of his grace. It's that when you're saved, God wants to be praised. We could look at a bundle of Bible verses this morning. In Matthew chapter 5, the famous one, you know, it says, go let your light shine on a hill. We talk about that all the time. Be the city on a hill. Well, why be a city on the hill? If you read on in Matthew 5, it's what? So that God will be praised. The whole focus is to bring God praise. And so we try to understand our own significance this morning. We begin by understanding it's all about God. Everything is centered around God, and we have to understand God's overarching purpose before we can understand our individual purposes. God's overarching purpose is to bring praise to himself. And so now that we've started with God and we understand the overarching purpose of God, let's return to Psalm 8. Return to Psalm 8 with me, if you would. So the psalmist begins with God. And after talking about the greatness of God and how he's amazed that this amazing God would even notice humanity, notice what he says about humanity in Psalm 8, verse 5. You have made him, humanity, a little lower than heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. What gives humanity value is right here. What gives humanity value is that humanity is God's prized creation. Humanity is God's prized creation. There's a variety of other things in creation. There's wildlife. There's trees. There's other physical, water, all of that stuff. But all of that stuff, all of it, is subservient to God's ultimate creation, humanity. Because humanity does what? It says here, he crowned them with glory and honor. In other words, humanity displays the greatness of God. In Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, when talking about creation, he says, he made them male and female in his own image, in God's likeness. What gives you worth and value this morning is that God has bestowed upon you glory because you are the beauty of his creation. This is worth and value. It comes from God as our creator. This is why you never have equality outside of having a God-centered picture. Because from a God-centered picture, equality does not come from achievement. It does not come from age. It does not come from socioeconomic status. It does not come from race. It comes from one person, the creator himself. And this morning, if you're in this room, actually this morning, no matter where you are, 
you have infinite value to God because you are created by God, bestowed with glory and honor. Yes, I hear you, my young man. He agrees. He agrees this morning. Who am I? Very simply put, who am I is this. I am God's glory. I am God's beauty created for his praise. 30 years, he will not want to sit in the front row anymore. So the very first thing, if we got to change the math equation, the world says others' approval. It changes. It's not others' approval. It's God's opinion. This is what matters. And what God's opinion of you says is this, is that you've been bestowed with glory and honor, the magnificence of his creation. Every human being has been given dominion over creation. Think of this. You are an agent for the creator of the universe right here on planet Earth. Everyone in this room, you were created by God to manage his creation. You can give yourself whatever title you want. Senior Vice President of the Creator's Well-Being. Whatever you want. Because guess what? God has bestowed glory and honor on you. Other people may look and their opinion may be different, but guess what? In 150 years, guess whose opinion is going to matter? One. God's. If you want to move towards significance, it begins by understanding God's opinion what God says about you. And the second thing towards starting to move towards significance is beginning to understand then, okay, what's my aim? I understand who I am, but what am I supposed to aim for now as a creation of God? And so I just want to look at a couple of verses in the New Testament to give you kind of an overview of what's the overarching aim of Christianity. So we're going to look here at Colossians chapter, uh, I don't know what it is, put it on the screen and I'll tell you the reference point. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In other words, the writer here is saying, hey, guess what? I don't care what you're doing, but you need to do it in the name of Jesus. And very simply means this, you need to do it to honor God. Because when you're doing it in somebody's name, that's what? That's to bring them honor. That's reflecting them, right? So if, if someone drops your name somewhere, What are they trying to do by dropping your name? They think your name has some value and worth. And when they drop your name, what do you want them to do? Use it respectfully. So that when people know that your name is being dropped, what? The people around are growing in respect for you. God wants us to do everything in all of our life to his honor in his name. And then in Philippians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says the following. He says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I'll not be at all ashamed, but that full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. The Apostle Paul is very simply praying here to his people that he's writing to in Philippi, saying, hey, you know what? I'm in prison right now. I'm being persecuted. But even in the midst of persecution, do you know what I want to happen? I want Jesus to be honored in my body. That's why he's using this language of body, life, and death, because he's on the verge of life and death. He's being persecuted. He doesn't know if he's going to die or live. 
but he makes it clear, no matter what happens, you know what I want to happen? I want Jesus to be honored. This is the aim of the Apostle Paul because this is the aim of every follower of Jesus Christ. Your aim this morning is to bring honor to God. Let's look at one final verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, So, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. The Apostle Paul just summarizes it right here in a nice sentence. Here's what I encourage you to do. If you have kids, what's the last thing you say to your kids as they're leaving? Buckle up. Be safe. I would encourage you to change that. Change that. When they're leaving, say, whatever you do, glorify God. Whatever you do, glorify God. Because that covers everything else underneath it. We want to drill this into our heads and into our hearts that no matter what's going on in our life, whether I'm drinking orange juice, whether I'm sleeping, whether I'm working out, whether I'm making a business deal, in all things, I'm bringing God glory and honor. The aim of our life is to display the greatness of God. That's what it means to glorify. To glorify something is to make known the greatness of that which you are glorifying. So think of it this way. If you want to bring honor or glory to God, there's really two aspects to it. First is this, the idea of display. Making known the characteristics of God. The best illustration that I've heard this explained and the best one I've shared before is the idea of a telescope. Our job as Christians is to be a telescope. What does a telescope do? It finds something great and it makes it visible to the human eye. There's a big difference between a telescope and a magnifying glass, right? A magnifying glass takes something small and makes it larger. A Christian is a telescope because what are we doing? We're taking the infinite God, the creator of the universe, and what are we doing? We're displaying that creator in our lives. And so to glorify God means this, to display the character of God. So in our love and our holiness and our compassion, I'm glorifying God because I'm displaying the characteristics of God. My aim is to display the character and the purpose of God. The second aspect of glorifying or bringing God honor is this, is to simply give Him praise. Praise, to glorify something is to really praise it, is to say, wow, that's awesome, that's amazing. And that's what we want people to do around us. We want people to say, God is amazing. God is magnificent. And in our own lives, we want to do that exact same thing. No matter what's happening, we want to say, that's awesome. That's why in that song we sung earlier, Bless the Lord, O my soul, those words come from Psalm 103, where it talks about in all seasons of life, what are you going to do? I'm going to praise God. So the last verse in that song is not just a cute little kind of phrase, and when my time comes, that's right from Scripture. Because that's what God wants to happen. That when your moment in time comes to say goodbye to this life and transition into the next life, what does God want you to do? God wants you to bless His name. To give God praise and say, God, praise you for this life, however long, however short it was. I praise you for the gift of life. So glorifying, honoring is all about displaying the greatness of God. It's all about praising God. The aim of your life is to display God's glory. Display God's glory is the aim of your life. And so now our math changes even more. 
It's not about human achievement at all. It's actually all about display God's glory. When I display God's glory and I rest in God's opinion, I find significance in life. This is what you were created to do. And so this morning, I want to challenge you. I want to ask you to do something that many of us don't really, we don't do because we kind of put it in the back of our mind. I want to ask you for a moment to get really intentional. Grab your pen. If you're taking notes this morning, grab your pen and your bulletin. If you're not taking notes, write on the person's shirt next to you. I don't care. Write on your hand. Your purpose in life is to display God's glory. I don't care what you're doing this morning. If you work at Franklin's Shoe Mart, if you're selling seed for who knows who, if you're putting seed in the ground, if you're working as a bank teller, if you're teaching young children, guess what? And no matter what you're doing, you have a purpose. That purpose is this, to display God's glory. And I think all of us need to get more intentional about understanding our personal mission in life. My personal mission is to display God's glory by raising money for God's purposes to be accomplished in the city of Sioux Falls. That's my personal mission statement. Display God's glory by raising money for God's purposes to be accomplished in Sioux Falls. But your mission statement is vastly different than mine. Your mission statement might simply be display God's glory by caring for children in my classroom where they learn and grow and mature in their God-given abilities. Your purpose statement might simply be display God's glory by the way I treat customers at Franklin's Schumart that they would leave with more joy than they came with. I hear this all of the time, especially about from middle-aged people. And we've got a lot of middle-aged people here, so I'm going to go right to that specifically. I hear it all of the time, this idea of a midlife crisis, of, oh, I just don't know, I'm ready to do something significant in my life, and, and I want to use the later years of my life for ministry. That's absurd, absolutely absurd, completely unbiblical. I'm not any more significant than you are. Just because I get paid to do ministry does not make it that you're not doing ministry. Everyone in this room is significant because you're displaying God's glory. How more significant can it get than that? What are you looking for? There's nothing more to it. It's all right there. So what's your personal? I want you to take your pen. I kind of got off track there a little bit. I'm sorry. Take your pen. What's your personal mission statement? Is your personal mission statement to display God's glory as I care for my grandchildren and my children in retirement? It is my personal mission statement to display God's glory as I sell X or Y? What is it? What's your personal mission statement? I think all of us need to write this down and then ingrain it in our hearts and our minds because guess what happens? Other stuff gets thrown at us all of the time. And so if we don't know it and own it, it's going to slide to the side. And we're going to be back in old math. And old math says what? Achievement plus others' approval equals significance. This is why you have to own and know your personal mission. And this isn't self-help. This is not self-help. Self-help gives this exact same talk without God's purpose in mind. 
We start with God and we end with God because our personal mission directly connects back to God's glory. And so today, do you know your personal mission? If you want to have significance, it begins by understanding what God says about you and owning your personal mission. That's where significance comes from. Just think about this for a moment. Most people think, when they think about church and they think of Christianity, is that they think of the church as the building, as that kind of that place, that, that mission place where God's light is seen and, and magnificence is known. And, and so people travel all over Europe. They travel all over Europe to look at these beautiful buildings, bricks and stained glass and amazing architecture and, and perfect, what do you call it when um, you can hear voices really well in a room? Like you, singing, whatever that is made for. Perfect uh, acoustics. They had these beautiful places, right? People are traveling all over Europe, paying thousands of dollars to go to these places, and they walk in these places, and they're like, oh, this is amazing, magnificence. They're not saying the magnificence of God, because that's not where the magnificence of God is found. That's not where God's glory is displayed. God's glory is displayed in the shoe store. God's glory is displayed in the school. God's glory is displayed in the courtroom. God's glory is displayed in the bank. This morning, in Sioux Falls, God's glory is not displayed right here for the magnificence for everyone to see. But you know what's awesome to think about? Is that tomorrow morning, God's glory, if everyone in this room took it seriously, can you imagine where that's going to be displayed? It's going to be displayed all over the place. It's going to be displayed for some of you as you're driving truck up the road. It's going to be displayed for others of you as you're on a phone bank talking with somebody from who knows where, Texas or, or California. God's glory is going to be all over the place. And that's exactly what God wants. Is He wants His glory all over the place. For when you and I live on mission, God's glory is displayed in every segment of creation. So how about you today? Are you ready to display God's glory where you have been placed? We spend way too much time being anxious about God's will and what am I supposed to do, what am I not supposed to do? I'm here to tell you right now, God's will for your life is this. Display God's glory wherever you are at. Display God's glory wherever you are at. Be the best shoe salesperson in the city of Sioux Falls for the glory of God. Some of you are like, man, he's really into the shoe sales stuff this morning. I don't know, thinking about a career change. We'll see. You have been created by God. That's God's opinion of you. For God's glory to be displayed around the world. And so this morning, are you ready to get intentional? John Maxwell, when he's written in some of his leadership books, uses an amazing, beautiful illustration, I think. He talks about the guy that's at the circus with, with the lion, in the, in the cage with the lion. John Maxwell says, you notice what he has in there with him? He has a stool. Why does he have a stool instead of a big stick? He has a stool because when he lifts up the stool like this to the lion, the lion sees what? Four legs and gets confused in a hurry, doesn't know which one to go after. If he used the stick, he would hold the stick out like this, and the lion would be all over him. You know what happens in our lives? 
when we get off point, we get all over the place. You know what Satan's number one goal for you is? Get you off of that singular focus. Why? He's got you right where he wants you. But God has given you a singular focus. That singular focus is his glory. And so today, I want to invite you into significance. And here's how you get to significance today. It's very simple. Two steps. Two steps. Romans chapter 3 says this, For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. You've probably heard this verse thousands of times. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Do you see the connection now? That God created us for his glory, and when we sin, we fall short of his glory. Everybody in this room, including myself, we've missed God's glory. And so you could say, we've missed our mission. We've missed our purpose in life. No, because we have all sinned and fallen short of our glory. But thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ, God has restored us to mission. That God has forgiven us for falling short of his glory and he's restored us now what? To display his glory. That's why it says in Ephesians 4 and Colossians chapter 3 that we're being renewed day by day to what? Display the image of God. Two steps. Acknowledge that you've fallen short of God's glory. Acknowledge that you have not been God-centered. Secondly, to say, Jesus, I trust in you. You're my restorer. Jesus, put me back on mission to display the glory of our Father. Simple. And God invites you today to confess that you've fallen short. And God invites you today to say, I trust in Jesus Christ. God actually gives you the faith today to profess and say, I trust in Jesus. Are you ready to be on mission? Are you ready to display the glory of God all throughout the city of Sioux Falls? Let us go forth, displaying not our own greatness, because there's nothing to display, but let us go forth, displaying the glory of God, for he has created us and he owns us through his son, Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our creator, creator God, we come before you this morning. We want to confess and acknowledge that we have fallen short of your glory. We want to confess that we have blurred your glory, that we have distorted your glory. Lord, we confess that we have fallen short of the standard that you've set. Now we ask God this morning in the name of Jesus that you'd restore us, that you'd receive us into your care, give us the gift of faith, to trust in Jesus Christ. God, I ask now that you would equip this body of people here this morning specifically. Lord, I pray that you'd burn in their hearts and their minds the mission that you've given them. God, I pray that you'd make it known to their hearts right now where you want them to display your glory. God, I pray that you'd make it known to each person's mind right now that where you've placed them, you want them to display your glory. So God, burn those truths in our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit and create in us a desire that says, 
not to us, but to you be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.